Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the Met, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, enjoy the message. How are we doing this morning? Oh, that's a little, that's a little fair to partly cloudy there. How are we doing this morning? Come on, let's get that. Yeah. That's what I say. How are you doing, Jordan? You doing good? Great. Good. Had a great day so far. That's it. This is our third time of doing this. this for, for those of you who might not be familiar with Jordan, Jordan is part of our community life team. He's one of our group pastors here at the church. He oversees all of our rooted groups. He oversees our relief team. He coordinates all the baptisms that um, we do here at the church. And, uh, and if you're a part of community life, you already know and love Jordan. If you're not a part of community life, you need to get to know Jordan because he's the one that gets you connected into groups. And here at the church, we believe that circles are better than rows and we want everybody connected into a group. And he's here to help us kick off our brand new series we're starting called Vacation. It's the summer. It's time for everybody to go on a vacation. And, and although I know some of you actually have vacations uh, canceled because of this uh, wow. Pandemic. <laughs> yes, we, we were supposed to go to Florida and uh-huh. be on the beach, and we are not in Florida, and we are not on the beach. <laughs> uh, that was canceled. So that's we're it. We put you to work. Beautiful Fort Worth, Texas. That's it. That's it. That's right. Well, speaking of, speaking of vacations, do you, do you have a favorite vacation? Absolutely. Hands down, without a doubt, Disney World. Disney the, World. Yeah. Uh, the most magical place on earth. Uh-huh. Three small girls. You, you can't get any better than that's Disney it. World. Yeah, I've, I've taken, <laughs> taken my kids to Disney World. I love that. What do you love most about Disney World? The food. I love <laughs> to eat my way through Disney World. I love the, the best of the best is the Dole Whip. The Dole. I, I, <laughs> okay. I, it just can't be duplicated. I just love the Dole Whip. I love uh-huh. the churros. So you're not the daredevil that likes the Oh, nut. I love all that, but my kids are terrified okay, of rides. <laughs> so most of the time, it's my wife and I riding those, uh, but we, we definitely enjoy the food. We okay, eat our food. way around Epcot. We eat through every park, the snacks, everything. That's it. Uh, that's, it's fun. Yeah, I can't do that. I got I to I do the <laughs> it rides. It doesn't show, but I do <laughs> eat a lot. I got I to do the rides. So are you the kind of person that when you go on vacation, once you found that place, I know there's a lot of people, once you found that place you really love, that you just want to keep going back to that place, or you're somebody who likes to yeah. have new adventures? We, we've continued to go there because it's easy for us. Uh-huh. In traveling with three small children, nothing's easy. So when we found that they would pick us up from the airport, we didn't have to rent cars. They would take us here and there and tell us when to eat and give us these little vouchers and put it all on our wrist. We, we were just like, well, we can't beat this. Like, we just have to keep going here. Um, so, but if my wife and I are going on a vacation by ourselves, that's when we'll venture out and be a little more adventurous and go to new spots. But as a family... We'll go to Disney, we'll go see other family members and travel there, but, but that's about it. We don't venture out a whole lot with them <laughs> yet. Yet. Well, this series, this series it, is all about taking you on an adventure. We want to take you to, to different places, different places that we find in the Bible, different places that have significant meaning in the Bible and, and, and that are relevant to us today. And we hope that through this series that you're going to see how God used all of these places and all of, all of the Bible to, to change you. And, and we hope that that's what this uh, series does. It, it changes you uh, to be more of who God has called you to be. And so, Jordan, where are we going to today? Where are we going? Well, uh, the rightfully named the Jordan River. 
<laughs> you told me we were going to tell stories, and I love storytelling. And then you said, pick a place. And I was like, well, uh, okay. I love the story that happens at the Jordan River. And so um, I just chose that place because it just holds a special place in my heart. Um, and then Rob broke it to me that we were going to be doing history and geography. <laughs> and I like sat in his office, and I said, please, that is not my strong suit. I took history twice in college. Uh, not because I enjoyed it so much, but I did pass it the second go around because I don't give up. Um, and I said, please don't make me do that part of it. Let me do the story. And, he's, and he acted like that was going to be okay. And then he said, I really think you are. So I've been studying up on the history, the geography. I did what I did as a small child sitting in church, and I opened way up to the back to the maps, and I was looking at them, and I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. So uh, I'm going to do my best to try to explain where the Jordan River is, why it was important and how it played such a huge part uh, in biblical history. And it's, it really is, is nestled right amongst where a lot of stories are told. It goes from the Sea of, the Galilee, sea of Galilee up north down to the Dead Sea. It travels 156 miles. It's really centrally located right between modern-day Israel and Syria and Jordan um, there on the west. Yep, there's my cheat sheet. So Israel, Syria, and Jordan and, and there was just many stories amongst the Bible that, that took place around this. And we see in the Bible that, that the Jordan River is brought up 185 times. So it's pretty predominant in the storytelling there. Um, I know that number because it was on the notes that Rob gave me. He's a researcher. Um, he studies those. Uh, so it's 156 miles long, and it was in the Bible 185 times. Um, and one of, one of the great stories of the Bible is... Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt um, and into the wilderness. And then when Joshua takes over and actually brings them into the promised land, it was the Jordan River that he had to cross over to get into the promised land. And there's such a great illustration in the Bible of the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant and actually stepping into the water right. of the Jordan. And that's when we see the water stop and the Israelites go through on dry land. And it's just such a, a cool story. I love um, that the Jordan River, I mean, named after that river. And so it just, it's a special uh, thing for me. And so I really enjoy that. A lot, of, a lot of great biblical stories, like you said, is mentioned 185 times. There's a lot of things that happened in and around yeah. the Jordan. And actually the story that we want to talk to you about today um, happened at the Jordan River. And it actually was the story that launched Jesus's ministry. This is where it all took place. And for, for us to actually tell that story, we have to go back. We have, to, we have to go back and talk about the person who came before Jesus, the one who was preparing the way for Jesus, a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And I'm sure you've heard of him before. And the reason why they said he was John the Baptist and not John the Methodist or John the Episcopalian, because John was doing something to Jewish people that people didn't do. He was actually baptizing Jewish people. And, uh, and so that's why they called him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And uh, if you're gonna hear the story of, of John the Baptist, you have to go to the Gospels. Remember, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, they give the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And John the Baptist is in all four of those. And really, to get the whole picture of, of, of John the Baptist, you gotta kinda have to dabble through all of them, and that's what we're gonna do today. And I wanna start off in, in Luke, in Luke 3. And the reason why I wanted to start in Luke was because when Luke talks, he says, I've thoroughly investigated everything. 
I've done all the research. You need to know that what I'm about to tell you is true. You can trust what I'm saying. And so this is what Luke says in Luke 3. You can watch on the side screens or, or in your Bibles, and we can read along together. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and uh, this is uh, the emperor of Rome. This is the guy who uh, followed Caesar Augustus. He said, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, which means he was the one who was over Jerusalem, he said, Herod Tetrarch of, of, of Galilee, and Tetrarch is just basically a fancy name for governor, okay? Uh, his brother, Philip Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias uh, Tetrarch of Abilene during the, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, if you're like me, and you get to all these names, you kind of just go past them, right? You don't really read all of these. It's like, wah, 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 right? You just go back, because I don't really know how to pronounce all these words anyway, so really, what do they mean to me? But what Luke does is he's like a historian's dream because he's telling you, I've, I've seen all what's going on. I've interviewed everybody. So what I'm about to tell you, you guys, is, is actual fact. This is history. This is something you can trust and believe in. And this is what he says. He says, the word of God came to John, and that's John the Baptist, son of Zechariah in the wilderness, Okay, and what he says is the fact that it wasn't that John was speaking about God in the wilderness. He said that God was actually speaking through John the Baptist, that God was speaking through him. And what we see is because God was speaking through John, people just started flocking to the Jordan River. They were just coming down there. They had to hear what he was saying. And because of the words that were coming out of his mouth, these people were repenting and they were being baptized. Now, this wasn't an easy thing for these people to do because if you lived in Jerusalem and you were gonna go to the Jordan River, you were gonna have to get up before sunrise. You were gonna have to travel all day long. You wouldn't get there till around sunset. And then you were gonna have to stay the night and then hope you get to see John the next day. But people were doing this. People were coming. And all of a sudden, the temple started getting nervous because people weren't going to the temple anymore in Jerusalem. They were all traveling down to the Jordan to see John. So you have the temple leaders, you've got Caiaphas, you've got Annas, you've got these guys and they're saying, we gotta figure out what's going on. So they take some of their underlings, some of the, the priests and they say, you go down there and check this out. Check out and come back and report to us what's going on. And so we'll pick up the story in, in John 1, 19 when it says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. So let's set the stage. You got John there at the Jordan River. He's preaching, he's teaching, these people are listening to him. He probably wades out into the middle of the, the river and people are coming, he's baptizing. And he sees some of these priests and Levites coming towards him. He sees people getting out of the way because they know who they are. They're probably wearing these black robes. They know all these people. And he knows what's gonna happen. And it says he confessed freely before they even asked him a question. He goes to him, he says, I'm not the Messiah. Guys, I'm not him. He knew what they were gonna do, because see, what you need to know back in that first century is there would be some of these wannabe uh, messiahs that would pop up in every now and then. And so what the Jewish leaders would do, they would go squash it. They would go put it out because they didn't wanna have anything to do with that. They didn't want people getting this uprising against the temple or against the Romans that, that it could get kind of uh, nasty. So they would always try to squash it. Well, he stopped them right off the bat. I'm not the messiah. It's not me. So then he said, well, then if you're not the messiah, who are you? Are you Elijah? Is that who you are? And the reason why they asked him if he was Elijah is because uh, the prophet Malachi, remember Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, okay? Remember after Malachi, God goes silent for 400 years. God doesn't say anything between that time and, and uh, before Matthew. He doesn't say anything that was going on. 
But Malachi said that before God does his next big thing, that Elijah is gonna come or somebody in the spirit of Elijah or somebody, um, it's, it's, it's Elijah reincarnated. And so he's going, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. So then they go, well, are you the prophet? And again, these are priests and Levites. So they know all the Jewish history. They know all the Jewish law. They know what was going on. And they're talking about Deuteronomy 18, 18. And they're talking about when Moses was saying that, that God was gonna send the prophet above all of the prophets. That's who he's gonna send. And so they are, are you him? And he goes, no, I'm not him. So then they look at him and go, okay, guys, you gotta, you gotta tell us who you are. I mean, we gotta have something to take back to our bosses, okay? We gotta come back and tell them. We can't say, we don't know who you are, but we know who you're not. Who are you? Who are you? And this is what John replies to them. This is what John says. He says in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. And what is so cool that he uses the words of Isaiah, and this is Isaiah 40, uh, verse three. And in Isaiah, when it was talking about that, it was talking about when, how God was going to free the Israelites out of slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt, and give them into freedom. And what John is saying, God's about to do something big again. He's about to free everybody. He's about to, to break the chains of the entire world. And what's cool when you read this, the word voice there in the Greek is the word phone, and it's where we get the word microphone from. And what he's saying is just, I'm just the amplified voice of God. I'm the amplified voice of God, and I'm just making way straight for the Lord. That's what I'm doing. I'm just here, God is using me to speak to you, and he's about to do something really big. Well, the Pharisees are looking at him. They don't really understand what he's talking about. He says, well, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, what are you doing baptizing people? Why, 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 are, you, why are you baptizing all these people? Okay, and remember I told you this was something very, very rare. See, back in those days, the only people who got baptized were like Gentiles that were wanting to become Jews. Jews didn't need to be Baptized, they were already Jewish, but Gentiles would be baptized and the, and the whole washing was supposed to be to wash all the Gentileness off of you so that you become Jewish. But it wasn't, it was a ceremonial thing. Nobody was doing it. So they're asking, what are you doing? We don't even understand what's going on. And he says, hey, I just, I just baptized with water. I just, I just baptized with water. It's, it's really more symbolic. This is something that's an outward thing of what was going on inside somebody. They're repenting of their sin and they're going out turning to God. Well, they didn't understand what he was talking about. So what they end up doing, they end up going back to Jerusalem. They go back to, to the high priest and they say, hey, listen, we just don't know who he is. Yeah, there's a lot of people down there. We think something should happen. And so what happens, the, the high priest and all this, they go, well, listen, if anybody's gonna get anything done, we're gonna have to go. So now they make the journey. They make the journey down to find out what is going on. And this is when the story really, really gets good. This is when everything turns this around. It, this is when it comes together. I mean, I'm, I'm good at telling the story. Okay. I can, I can tell a good story. So let me, let me just set the stage for you, okay? This would be a day that would be remembered forever this would be the day that would change everything. For John the Baptist is about to step out of the spotlight and Jesus is about to step onto the scene to begin his earthly ministry. And the scene at the banks of the Jordan River was perfect. 
the wind was just right. The temperature was just right. The birds were singing, sun shining, the light dancing across the water as the river flowed downstream and people gathered everywhere to experience what was about to take place here. And as John would look out across all the people that had gathered, he was sure to feel the respect that they had for him. And they were surely able to feel the love that John had for them, for this love was a love that overflowed from his love for God. And as people gathered from all over Jerusalem and Judea to be baptized here and to be cleansed, John was sure to be excited knowing that they were walking in obedience with their heavenly Father. Then, another day, another day before this day ever took place, John was looking out across this same landscape, these same people, and then over the horizon, the religious leaders of the day were coming to investigate. Who was this man? What was he doing? Why were they at the river and not at the temple? In this day, the tone was different. You see, John knew the religions of the day. He knew the traditions, but he knew that things had changed. Things had shifted from honoring God to just being done as rituals and ceremonies with the religious leaders. And he was willing to be part of the change in a new way. And the religious leaders were not happy. Just the fact that they had traveled a day's time to come and investigate told John that things would not go well. And he was right. They were angry because of what he was doing. But he was willing to stand and know that he was doing things right. So from right where he stood in the middle of the Jordan River, he began to shout back and forth. And things got heated and things got tense. But John continued to say, as angry as you are at me, the one that comes after me is far more powerful. He's the one you should fear. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. And with that, they left to go report back. So back to our day, back to our story. This is where it happens. Out of the north, out of Galilee, in comes Jesus. And he could have come in any way that he wanted. It could have been as magnificent and triumphant of anything we could ever imagine. For this is the day that he would start his earthly ministry. This is the day that he would transition from an ordinary carpenter into the leader and teacher sent by God. He could have rode in on white horses, covered in gold with trumpeters parading the way. It could have been a scene out of a movie. That's not the image we get when we read the scriptures. The image I get is he walked in alone without any pomp and circumstance. And I can imagine that these steps, as he walked, every step intentional, every step 
on purpose, with purpose. And as his eyes looked around, I can imagine they were piercing as he surveyed looking for John. And I can imagine it was silent. See, John and Jesus, they already knew each other. They had grown up and done things in the temple as young boys. This was not a chance meeting between the two. This was orchestrated well before this moment. And as Jesus draws near, I can imagine the tension, tension in John's heart grew stronger. He knew what was about to take place. He knew the gravity of what was going to happen. He knew that this would change everything. His obscurity was about to disappear. The new covenant was about to be revealed. He was about to baptize the Messiah. And just before, he had gotten into this shouting match with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he had exclaimed to them that he was not even worthy to be a slave to the one that came after him. He was not worthy to untie his sandal. He warned them of the wrath. He even explained that this man could pick up a stone and turn it into a descendant of Abraham. And here he was, standing waist deep in the Jordan River, locking eyes with the very one he had explained. And I can imagine that it is just complete silence between these two men as they stand looking at each other, knowing that they are about to fulfill the prophecies. And that silence is broken when John explains Jesus as the Lamb of God. And in this moment, he could have been proud. He could have been boastful of the great honor that he was about to have to baptize Jesus, but he remained humble, even trying to talk to Jesus and say, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be the one baptizing me. But Jesus spoke very clearly in this moment. He said, it shall be done. We must carry out all that God desires. And that's what happens. John the Baptist, standing in the Jordan River, baptizes Jesus. And as he comes out of the water, he looks up and the heavens open up and from heaven, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And a booming voice rains down from heaven, exclaiming, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And that's where our scene ends. Jesus stepping into his public ministry. He came humbly, he walked in obedience, and he showed us baptism before he ever began to teach us how we should live. Great story, great story. I think I'm gonna have to step up my game a little bit, get a little bit of music and bring the lights down of, of hey, doing this. It pays to be the group's pastor because I'm in a couple of groups with the guys in the tech booth and <laughs> definitely orchestrated that ahead of time. Well, I love that. <laughs> I, I love the whole, the whole feeling, but it truly was uh, the turning point for everything, for everybody in the world at that point, the turning point for us because what Jesus was doing right then and there was he was telling everybody that it's no longer about religion, it's about a relationship. See, when, when John was having this shouting match back and forth with, with the religious leaders, he was saying that you were a brood of vipers. 
He was talking to them and was saying that, that they needed to repent. And this was so shocking for everybody because these were the holiest of holy people. If anybody was right with God, it would be the high priest. And he's saying no, that the only way to be right with God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. And it changed everything. And that's what this is all about as far as for us, that it changed everything because now it's given us this opportunity to enter into that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to be right with God, to have eternity with God. And because we do that, when we read the story, there's really three things that stand out that are important for us to follow in Jesus's footsteps. And the first thing is that we need to imitate Jesus in baptism. That's right. That we need to imitate Jesus in baptism. That when you read your Bible, when you look at the stories of the Bible, you see that every single time somebody gave their heart to Christ, that when somebody was saved, they became baptized. They were saved and baptized. A lot of times it happened on the very same day. But it's that's your first step to get out to do that. And you have to realize that was Jesus's choice. See, he made his way down to the, to the Jordan to have John do that. It wasn't something that his parents planned for him. It wasn't something that John made him do. It was something that he chose to do. And because he chose to do it, we need to imitate him in baptism. We need to go forward. Back in those days when John was baptizing before Jesus went to the cross, it was a, semblance, it was a, it was a symbol of their repentance from their sins. That's what it was. And you would say, well, then why did Jesus have to, have to die? I mean, have to um, be baptized? was because he didn't have any sin. But what he was doing was setting the stage for the fact that he was gonna carry the sins of the entire world upon himself. And not only was he gonna take that, but he was gonna die for that. But he would rise again. And that's what the symbolism, when you and I get baptized, we are going public with the fact that we identify with what Jesus did for us what Jesus did for us. In Romans 6, 4, it talks about that. It talks about the fact that we were buried with him unto death, and that's what baptism looks like. We were buried with him unto death, and that we were raised to life, to this new life. And that's what your baptism is all about. It's this public announcement that I have given my heart to Christ, that I am now living in a different direction, that I am now following Jesus Christ, and I can do this because of what he's already done for me. Yeah. So it I starts think, with baptism. I think it's a great example of just walking in that obedience. And, and I, I kind of touched on it in the stories in the scripture that, you know, John explains to, to the leaders, he picks up the stone and he says, you know, even this man can turn this stone into a descendant of Abraham. And at the time, the, the leaders thought it was because of their lineage that they were the holy of the holies, that, that they didn't need to go through these ceremonies. And so he was just basically saying that this isn't gonna cut it anymore. We're gonna have to repent of these sins and we're gonna have to go forward with, with baptism and, and ultimately with the acceptance of, of Christ as our savior. Um, and then we can go forward with, with actions that he, he set forth for us. But yes. the old way was not gonna work anymore. We needed not to work repent anymore. and change our ways. And thank goodness, because we couldn't keep the old way. We couldn't there keep is. the laws <laughs> no. of doing that. Not only did we need to imitate him in baptism, but we see that after his baptism, it launched his ministry and it should initiate our ministry. That once we become saved, that's not it. That is not the end, that's actually the beginning. Yeah. This is the beginning of your now new life in ministry because you are now a disciple. 
And the Bible is very clearly, it talks about three ways that you look like a disciple, that you're actually acting like a disciple for the rest of the world. In John 13, it says this. He says, the people are gonna know you're my disciples when you love one another. When you love one another, it sounds very easy, but it's saying when you love everyone. It's not pick and choose who you love. It's not just loving the people who love you back. It's loving the unlovable. That's what I love about our church. Everybody is welcome through our doors. We wanna be there for everybody. We're not picking and choosing. We realize that everybody that walks through those doors is somebody that Jesus died for. And that's what we as disciples, that's our ministry is to love people and to show the love of Christ. Second thing that, that the Bible says is the fact that if you're a disciple, it says that you need to obey my word. You need to obey my word because when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And what that is talking about is the fact that you are now not living your old way. You probably heard Bill talk about this before. It's the fact that just because you've been saved doesn't mean you don't know your old life. Well, it's walking in the newness of life. And it's talking about walking in his ways. And that means obeying his word. And so many people think that, that when you obey the word that you're actually kind of putting uh, limitations around your life. No, actually being obedient is freedom. That, that living outside the will of God is actually the slavery. That's actually the bondage. That when you are obedient, you're actually living free. And that's what your ministry should be, a, a, to live free, to show people what it looks like. And finally, in Matthew 16, when, when Jesus said this, he goes, if you're gonna be my disciples, you need to um, deny yourself. You need to humble yourself. That means it's not about you anymore. See, before you were saved, everything was about you. It's all what you wanted, when you wanted, how you wanted. And what Jesus is saying, it's not about you anymore. It's not about you. And the reason why it's not about you is because you don't make good choices. That's why it's not about you anymore. It's about denying yourself and, and taking up your cross, which means I'm getting rid of all those things that get me out of fellowship with God because I wanna follow his way and I follow him. That means I'm living my life in another direction. That's your ministry. And Jesus made it very clearly. The last thing he said in Matthew 28 before his ascension into heaven after his resurrection, he said, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them in the things that I've commanded you to do. He said, if you're a disciple, your ministry is to go make more disciples. If you're a follower of me, you need to go make more followers. That's why we, we do church the way we do. That's why we tell you to invite your, your friends here. That's why when we're, you're watching online, we say share. If you haven't shared this, make sure you share it right now. It's right there in the little bottom corner, left corner of there. Just share this out because that's what ministry is all about, is sharing what Jesus has done in your life and being a disciple and walking in, in uh, obedience. Yeah. Ministry is all about advancing our faith, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about you know, a position, it's about an action that we do. And, and we know um, that ministry is active and it, it relies on us. People are watching us, people are listening to us and we need to make sure we're advancing um, in that way. I, I just keep thinking about there's just so much movement and momentum to ministry and, and it, we can't be stagnant, we can't be still because um, the things that come against us are active as well. So we need to be counteractive, proactive in the fact that we need to be aggressively extending our faith and sharing that with other people. That's it. Yep. That's it. And because we do have opposing forces, the last thing we need to do is we need to illuminate. We need to stand out. We need to be different. We need to shine. 
In Acts 1, when uh, uh, it says that when, the, when you have given your heart to Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit will actually come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what he's saying is, guess what, guys? You are the ones that are gonna make the difference and you need to shine. And here's the deal I want you to understand. The best sermon that you can ever preach is one without words. It's your life. Your life shining can change people. You see this throughout the Bible. You see this in so many different ways. Peter was talking about to those first century Christians that were, that were, being, more, that were being persecuted, that they were, they were treated horribly. But what's happened, they were making a difference. And what did he say? He said, be ready to give an account of the hope that you have because people didn't understand why they had hope and that we need to shine. We need to be the hope for this world. Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said in Matthew 5, he said, you're the light of the world. You are, the, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And you need to shine. He said, let that light shine before um, men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father. See, what happens is, as Christians, we need to live in a way that gets people to question the way they live. See, John came to prepare the way. We're here to show the way. And that's what this is all about. It's showing the way to Christ. And that's what happened at that Jordan River. Yeah. You always have to remember we're, we're imperfect people carrying a perfect message. Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're not gonna be perfect, but we've, we've got the one inside us that, that is. Um, and we, we can shine that in so many different ways. Uh, I know we, we've been talking about baptism. That's a big, big way that we get to show that. That's an act of obedience that is commanded that we we go through that process and identify with Jesus in that way. And it's so powerful when you get to go in front of your peers and say, I've made this decision, I'm gonna make it public. And we've got the same way, the same capabilities. We live in a day of technology where we can use our social media. Um, we can use the way that we act, the way that we talk, what we share, what we do. Um, those things are reflective of, of he who lives within us. Uh, we get to be that shining example. And, and one of the big things that we can do is just to live our life revolved around our church. Uh, we've got such a active, vibrant, exciting church that we get to be a part of. Uh, and even in this time of quarantine, we've just got so many different opportunities that we can still be involved. Uh, we've got Bible studies and we've got groups that you can be a part of. And, and there's so many ways that we can be here and be present so that we can shine the light of what God is doing through us. Let's go ahead and pray and we can be on our way. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the fact that you did love us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross, that you knew the answer before the world even saw the problem. You knew that sin was gonna enter into this world and you already provided your son to be the sacrifice so that we could spend eternity with you and we thank you for that. And we are thankful for the fact that we get to go public, that we get to align ourselves by, by, by being baptized, by going under the water and coming out this new life that you've given to us. And God, we just wanna live lives that serve you and, and, and glorify you in everything we do. And if there's somebody that's here this morning or been watching online that has never taken that first step, has never taken that first step to even go, in, to, to go into a relationship. Jesus died for you to have that relationship. He died so that you didn't have to be good enough because he was. He took all of your sin, all of his shame upon himself. 
And he's waiting for you to take that step into a relationship with him. And I know God has been talking to you and right where you are, right where you're watching, just open up your heart to him. Say, I realize God, just how much you love me. I realize that, that, that I don't, haven't lived a perfect life and that I can't live a perfect life. But you're okay with that. I realize that you came and took all of my sin upon yourself and you died for me and then you rose again for me. And now I wanna give my life for you. I trust you. I put my faith in you. If you've said that, if you believe that, your life is forever changed. And your next step is to let somebody know and enter the waters of baptism. And anybody that's also, that's out there that's kind of been kicking the tires that they don't want to, to go under the water. God is just prompting you right now to say, come on. It's time to take that step. It's time to imitate me. It's time to initiate that ministry. And for all of you that have been kicking the tires of, of ministry, he's prompting you right now to let somebody know that you're ready to step up and you're ready to start serving. God, we just thank you for the life that you've given us. God, we thank you for all that you've done for us. And now we wanna live for you. We love you and we praise you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.